You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Is from Psalms chapter 37 and verses 1 to 21. Fret not for yourself because of evildoers, be not envious of wrongdoers. For they shall soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked, For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows, but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. This is the word of the Lord.
Uh, for those of you who have met me, my name's James, and uh, let me just start by saying it's a, just a privilege to serve you uh, for the preaching of the word today, uh, whether it's uh, serving on sound at the back or behind the scenes at church or even up front. Um, I just count it a real privilege to serve God's people. Um, I'm reminded in Acts chapter 20 that the church is precious to Jesus. Uh, Jesus shed his blood for the church, and because the church is precious to Jesus, and because Jesus is precious to me, serving you is uh, just a, a wonderful thing. Okay, we're looking at Psalm 37 today, and I thought I'd start off with something we all have in common. We all have in common. We are Matilda fans, okay? Go the Tillies. I don't know how I became a Matilda fan, but it happened sometime in August last year. Like all of you, uh, I joined the women's soccer bandwagon. I don't even play soccer, that's the truth. I had no interest in soccer, okay, and in some ways sport in general, but I became a Matildas fan. <laughs> um, we, like you, uh, you know, I, I joined conversations in talking about the Matildas at work, in meetings, at lunchtime, um, over dinner, uh, and the like. It was just a really, really fun time. Um, getting on the Matilda's bandwagon. You know, we joined in excitement as against the odds they made their way for the draw, even getting as far as the semi-finals, where they should have won against Sweden. At least we were cheering them on. Um, but I, I share this because um, we love to share in the success of a winning team. We love to be part of a winning team, don't we? That's why we don't care for the Wallabies, for example, or the Socceroos. We love to be part of a winning team. Mm. Um, how do you feel as Christians? Do you feel we're part of a winning team? Do you feel we're winning? Do you feel like we're on the winning side? Well, if uh, you're honest and uh, anything like me, probably the answer is a bit mixed. Um, on the one hand, you know, I, I, I just love that all that God's done for me, all that God's done for you. He's broken into our lives. He's forgiven us. He's given us a new identity. We belong to his people. That is for certain. But at the same time, I think it's harder to be Christian these days. At least I feel that way. There are things I believe and hold dear about the world, about life, that increasingly isolates me and makes me different from my workmates, from society. And I think you feel the same as well. Some of us, many of us, because of what we believe about Christianity, about our faith, feel like maybe we're falling behind as the world plows ahead and marches ahead living their values. Well, Psalm 37 uh, is just so applicable to us. Uh, it's so helpful and encouraging. And that's the way I want you to feel today. It's helpful and encouraging because it gives us a bit of a shake. It grabs us by the scruff of the neck and it gives us a bit of a shake. And it says, winner. You, I, run the winning team. That's what it says. It doesn't ignore the realities of life, okay? It doesn't ignore the hardships, the various emotions we will face from fear, anxiety. Um, it doesn't ignore all that, but it gives us hope, it gives us promises, it arms us with the tools, the sort of mindset to help us face these things with confidence. Okay, so today I've got two main points I want to make, okay, and a few sub-points. Um, first point I want to make is um, that we, should, we need to keep calm and to carry on. We need to keep calm and carry on as Christians. Um, and this psalm will give us three reasons to do that. And then finally I'll talk about what it means or what it looks like to keep calm and carry on. So that's my message, to keep calm and carry on. Um, if you're, you're busy and need to leave, this, 
you'd have the key message if you left right now. Okay. Keep calm and carry on. Okay, because we're on the winning team. Um, Judy read verse 21 earlier, um, and I, I find that very helpful because throughout this psalm, um, the psalm contrasts these two teams, these two sides, the wicked and the evil and the righteous. Read with me in verse 21. Uh, the wicked person borrows and does not repay, but the righteous one is gracious and giving. Uh, there are those in the psalm, the psalm calls righteous and blameless. Uh, they're, they're, they're generous, they're living for God, they're living out his way of life. And then there are those in the psalm that Psalm 37 repeatedly calls the wicked and evil. These are those who are living completely different lifestyles to those who are faithful. They're choosing a completely different path. Um, and it's, they're not wicked and evil in, in some sort of vague or subjective sense. They're actually objectively nasty, bad people. Um, we read, for example, in verse 12 to 14, 12 to 14, um, the wicked person schemes against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. Verse 14, the wicked have drawn the sword and strung the bow to bring down the poor and needy, to slaughter those whose way is upright. Uh, these, are, these, are, these are nasty people, okay? They're not subjectively wicked. This, they're, they're, their lifestyles, the choices they're making are causing them to hurt others. They are objectively um, nasty people. Um, and it prompts me uh, to ask the question, like, why put these two groups of people together? Why put these two sides together in this psalm that actually have, in a sense, nothing to do with each other? Like, why put them together throughout this psalm? Why contrast them? Um, look, I'm a really simple person, and so I've got two simple reasons for that. The first reason, uh, I believe, is to show that there's a winning team. There's a winning side. You know, the Psalm 37 repeatedly puts these two teams on a scale, and the reason is to show winner. There is a side that wins. There's a side that wins. So stick with it. Run to it. Hold to it. There was a winning team. That's the first reason. But there's also a second reason, um, and that's to show there's a losing team. There's a losing side. So stay away from that side. Stay away from the wicked and evil side and their lifestyle. Now, some of you might be thinking that, uh, hang on, um, uh, look, I, I, no, this isn't really relevant to me. I'm not like tempted by this lifestyle. I don't really go anywhere near this lifestyle. Um, and that might be true. But Psalm 37 actually has a really great message for all of us. Okay. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, Metro Trains came up with this really fantastic um, safety campaign. Okay. Dumb ways to die. I think if uh, you could catch public transport, no doubt you'd have come across this. Uh, and it was a really helpful campaign. It really resonated with lots of people. The whole premise or idea uh, was that there are all these behaviours, okay, that everyday behaviours, everyday activities, that everyday people catching public transport fall into, like, you know, running for a train because you're running late, or forcing your way into a train as the doors are closing, which I actually do probably almost weekly, to my shame. But all these things that, you know, we do, and we think they're, they're sensible and they're normal, but actually, 
They could be very dangerous at the wrong time. They could be dumb ways to die. So stay away from them. Don't even double. Don't go close. Stay away from them. Don't even go there. This psalm, I believe, is saying there are dumb ways to live. And I'm joking about this. This psalm is really serious. We need to get this. There are dumb ways to live. So don't even go there. Stay away from that. Don't dabble with that way to live. So the first reason we should keep calm and carry on is because we're on the winning team. There is a winning side, so stick with it. Stick with it. Um, But there's another reason why we should uh, keep calm and carry on. And that is because uh, the wickedness and the evil we see in this world and all around us is temporary. It's passing. It's passing. Is there any, I guess, form of darkness bearing down on your life or pressing down on your life at this time? Of course there is. Of course there is. I don't even need to ask the question. I mean, firstly, there are all these crazy um, people in the world leading whole nations even. uh, And they seem to be leading the world through their choices and their leadership into a darker place. And you know what? It kind of stresses me out, and I bet it stresses you all out, just reading about it in the paper. Closer to home, you know, there maybe there are people in our lives at the moment who are causing us angst and stress through their behavior, they're impacting us. Or maybe you're not being directly impacted, but you see people living worldly lives and just getting ahead and you feel like you're falling further behind or not getting your slice of the pie like you would like in this lifetime. This psalm recognizes the various emotions that we can feel from fear, even all the way through to envy. But the psalm encourages us because it mentions three times in the first 10 verses, don't be agitated. Don't be agitated by evildoers. Don't be unsettled. In the words of the ESV or NIV, don't fret, repeatedly. Don't fret, don't be agitated, don't be unsettled. And the reason is, or one big reason this psalm gives us is because wicked people, evil, dark, will meet their end sooner or later. Sometimes it's sooner. Uh, By that I mean in years, within our lifetime, within their lifetime. Have you ever noticed that eventually, like, evil people, dark people, villains of our society, eventually get outed? They get judged. Sometimes it takes a decade, two decades, but it eventually happens. Um, My wife shared a story which brings this, uh, really brought this home for me recently. Uh, Some of you might be familiar with the British Post, scandal. Uh, it's, it's huge, apparently the biggest scandal in British public service uh, ever. Um, massive scandal. If you're not, let me just recount it very quickly to you. British Post is the equivalent of Australia Post, and they run this system where they have hundreds, I think maybe in thousands of franchisees running uh, branches for them. And um, from 1991, though, 1999 though, they started to notice that money was missing in their accounts. And so they looked at their franchisees and said, you guys owe us money. This money's missing. Give it back. 
and systematically they start going after their franchisees, demanding that money back, forcing it back, convicting people of fraud, of theft, their own employees. Guess what? Turns out uh, it was just a software bug. <laughs> it was a, a software bug in their accounting system. But they covered it up. They wouldn't investigate it. They wouldn't investigate. They ignored all the cries. They lied about it. They said, no, this is just you. This is just you. No one else is experiencing this. When in reality, they were getting heaps of reports from their franchisees and heaps of concerns. They sent auditors in to silence people, lawyers in, just to wear people out and rob and make them bankrupt. Uh, and it was awful. Hundreds of people were wrongly convicted. Many were left destitute paying back these bills that they didn't own. And apparently, even a handful of people took their lives and it went on and on and on and on. But now it's all out. Biggest scandal ever. Barack Obama has this quote, uh, and I think he quotes Martin Luther King, actually, uh, that the, uh, the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. It bends towards justice. And it bends towards justice, I believe, because God continues to use the imperfect structures of this world to bring about justice. Yes, not perfectly. If it was perfectly and justice were perfect, we would all be in trouble, right? I mean, who would get to draw the line? And where would it be drawn? Certainly above me and certainly above you. But there is justice. There is justice. And so evil and wickedness often meet their end sooner. But if evil and wickedness don't meet their end sooner, then it happens later. Verse 20. The wicked will perish. The Lord's enemies, like the glories of the pasture, will fade away. They will fade away like smoke. If justice doesn't catch up now, it certainly does later. There is no place for the wicked all for evil in God's future plans, in the new creation, in the new world that God will bring about for the good of his people and for the joy of his people. Uh, evil and wickedness uh, are anomaly, a blip. So we don't need to fret. It is a passing anomaly, as hard as it is some days. I want to make a broader point uh, about worldliness, which I deeply struggle with, and worldly ways of living. Um, we don't all struggle with wickedness directly, but we struggle with worldliness. Uh, for me, um, there are all sorts of worldly mindsets I contend with and struggle with at work, for example. Um, wanting to get ahead, to get more status for myself, to get promoted, to get a bigger pay packet. I'm not saying these things are, are bad in and of themselves, but often it's a worldly mindset that that can drive me, and I need to be careful with that. And I, I share this because sometimes it feels as a Christian that you, know, you can be falling behind or miss out on things if you don't sort of seize life the way the world will really want you to or the way that the world is doing so. Uh, but let me encourage us that worldly success, worldliness, wickedness and evil, the whole lot of it is a passing anomaly. There are some of you here who have made particular career choices, sacrificial ones, 
because you love God and you want to do good, and so you haven't gone for the most glamorous, the most worldly successful job. And you may feel it some days. You may feel it some days as you feel like the world is getting ahead and you're you know, for, for, falling further and further behind. There's some of you here who are serving so sacrificially and giving so much of your time when you, you, know, you could have more energy, more happiness in your life, more time to yourself, and you feel like you're falling behind because of that. And there's some of you who are maybe wrestling with loneliness uh, because you could uh, have a, a non-Christian relationship in your life, but you don't want to go down that path because you want to remain faithful to God. Let me encourage you to play the long game on this. Play the long game. Don't, don't, don't stick with what is passing, what is fleeting, what is temporary. Play the long game. Keep calm and carry on. Stick with the long game because evil and wickedness are temporary. I want to make a, a third point. Uh, and, I, and I love this point because um, I think this psalm says to, to us to keep calm and to carry on because the best times are on their way for the winning team. The best times are on their way for the winning team. Verse 11 has this incredible promise. The humble will inherit the land. The humble will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. Um, This isn't a one-off mention of this land concept in Psalm 37. Psalm 37 actually mentions it throughout verse 18, verse 22, verse 29, if you want to quickly scan. And it's actually a really rich concept, this idea of the land. So I want to spend a moment unpacking it. For the Old Testament Israelites, and I'm speaking just about the Old Testament Israelites, the land meant so much to them. It was more than just a a geography or place. Um, It was a a place where they could enjoy God's abundance, God's provision. It was a place where they could enjoy a status, an identity as God's people. There were formerly nobodies, a minority people group in Egypt, but in this land that God was promising them, there would actually be somebodies, there would be a nation, but most of all, they would enjoy the presence of God, his own presence. The land is just a, a, a massive package deal blessing. And um, there's this dialogue and the story in Exodus 33 that um, I just want to unpack for a moment because I, I think it's just a really encouraging story that brings this to life, this package deal blessing of the land. Um, Exodus 33, if you'd like to turn to it, but I'll quickly read it out anyway. Um, the Israelites, uh, um, you know, they've just, they just come out of Egypt and unfortunately they've made some calves for themselves. We don't know why, but they've made some golden calves. And, uh, and you know, God's like, okay, this is, this is not going to work out. I'll tell you what, Moses, uh, you, you send the Israelites ahead and go with them, but I'm going to stay behind. I'm going to stay behind. The Lord said to Moses, um, verse 1, Go up from here, you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt, to the land I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up with you, because you are stiff-necked people. God won't go with them. But then Moses, he intercedes, he gets it. He gets the land is more about milk and honey, more than just about milk and honey. And so later he intercedes. 
Verse 15, if your presence does not go, Moses responded to him, don't make us go up from here. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished by this from all the people on the face of the earth if you go with us. You know, the land was about more than just the place. It was about this incredible blessing of God's presence, God's provision, and being God's people. And we know how the story of the Israelites go, right? They forfeit it. It doesn't work out well for them. But this blessing we learn from Jesus is still on. It's still on for God's people. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the humble, or the meek, in some translations, for they will inherit the earth. They will inherit the earth. This is the new creation, I believe, that Jesus is talking about, that we will inherit, uh, where one day we'll experience God face to face. There will be no more wickedness and evil, and it will just be all good times. Abundance, provision, God's presence. We, the people of God. That's what we have to look forward to. You know, um, people don't like to hear about it. I'll bring it back, uh, bring it up. But the pandemic, uh, I think if it taught us anything, it taught us that we have a real fear of missing out, a real FOMO, a real fear of missing out. We all went out and bought all these things which we perceived at the time were scarce or valuable. You know, pantry goods, gym equipment, and now they're just sitting there expiring or rusting in my case, like the weights I bought. Um, but, but the FOMO we should have is, isn't, as Christians, isn't on the things of the present. It's on the future. The blessing of the land that we will inherit. That's the FOMO we should have, the things of the future, not on the present. So let me encourage us to keep calm and carry on because the best times are ahead. The future is fantastic for the winning team, so keep calm and carry on. Um, I want to cover uh, reasonably quickly what does it look like to keep calm and carry on? What does that actually look like even, to keep calm and carry on? Okay, bear with me. Um, uh, this cliche, keep calm and carry on, uh, you know, it's the stuff of mugs and stationery, okay? Um, but actually, it's a really bold and gritty phrase. It was coined at the beginning of World War II, um, just before um, the war was about to happen. The British government, seeing what was about to happen, wanted to steal up um, the people, wanted to prepare them for the sort of mindset that would enable them to prevail, last, and win the war. And so they came up with all these phrases, and keep calm and carry on was one of them. It was about having the sort of mindset that would enable Britain to prevail. Well, this psalm has some incredible truths and promises to help us have that winning mindset to keep calm and carry on. The first is this. Keep calm and carry on by trusting God, by being faithful. Verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Do good. Keep calm and carry on by doing good. Um, Judy mentioned it in her reading, but there's, a, there's actually an alternative reading of this, um, dwell in the land and live securely. You could also read it as befriend faithfulness or feed on faithfulness. The idea is that you can, uh, to live in the land and to do well and to thrive 
by cultivating faithfulness, by feeding and living off faithfulness. The idea is doing good and being faithful, that's a great way to live. That's the best way to live. That is a nourishing and healthy lifestyle. That is the best lifestyle. So keep calm and carry on by doing good. It's part of our identity, isn't it? Um, to do good, because we're God's workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works to walk in. So keep calm and carry on by doing good. Keep calm, calm and carry on by delighting in God. Verse 4, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desire. Uh, there is an incredible promise here that if we make God our delight, he will fulfill us. Who here is, is satisfied, completely fulfilled? Um, not me, not me. But there's a promise here that if we make God our delight, what our hearts desire, what our, we make him what we want, we truly want, he will fulfill us. That is an incredible promise. Here's how I think it works. It starts, our fulfillment starts with what's in the heart. What's in the heart shapes our life and drives our life. This is a quote from Ralph Emerson, the American um, writer and thinker. He writes this, he has this quote which I really love and I'll share with you. Sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. The point is this, what you desire, what you want, drives uh, what you do, okay? What you do shapes who you become. And who you come, that's your life. That's your lifestyle. That's what's going to fulfill you. I reckon one of the reasons why there are so many unfulfilled people and why many of us, even in this church, may be unfulfilled or not as fulfilled as we would like to be is because of what's in our hearts. I think for me, it's what's in my heart. It's not all God. It's not all God. There are other things in there. And what I need is, like um, David prays, Lord, in Psalm 139, search my heart. Search my heart, Lord. Know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting life. Because if God purifies our hearts and puts more of himself there, suddenly our lives will be transformed and changed. And I think we'll find ourselves more fulfilled. So seize that promise. Make God our delight. Last point. Last point I want to make. Um, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Uh, Hebrews says that, uh, in Hebrews 12, run with endurance the race before us by keeping our eyes on Jesus. He's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Look to Jesus. He's the one that lived out this lifestyle of Psalm 37. He lived it out faithfully and perfectly. He always trusted God. He was always faithful to God. He always praised God. He always delighted in God. He committed his way to God. Even on the cross, at the hardest point in his earthly life, he said, in your hands I place my spirit. Philippians 2 summarizes his life this way, that being in very nature God, 
he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped or to be used to his own advantage. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. And being found in human form, he humbled himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him and given him the name above all names. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ won through faithfulness, living this way of Psalm 37. He shows us this works in the end. He's won. So my message to us, friends, please, this Psalm's message to us, please, just to keep calm, carry on by looking to Jesus. Stick with the winning way. Stick with the winner. Live out the winning way by looking to Jesus. Amen. I'll hand us over to the music team to take us through some songs of reflection. Through the week, James reached out and asked me to bring this song um, after he preached his sermon. I think it was a good choice. Um, so, yeah, please listen to these words, reflect on them, and I hope that they sink right into your soul.
Jesus, Jesus. 